Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 726, air date August 23rd, 2020. Some different people trained them. So I grew up with this incredible environment. I thought everyone had a grandmother like my grandmother. Um, but I left India when I was seven because my parents were quite extraordinary people. My parents weren't your typical people who succumbed to that caste system. My mom came from a broken house, so she decided to stand up as a young woman. She got educated in, at a time in India where women weren't supposed to get educated at all, especially for that matter from a person of her caste. And then my dad grew up in war-torn Burma and he became an engineer and somehow sort of a one in a trillion chance they came to the United States uh, in 1970 to New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey, uh, one of the poorest cities in the United States, predominantly African-American. And when I landed in Patterson, you gotta think about it, this Indian family um, and I felt right at home there because in many ways it was like Bombay, okay? There was, it was quite eclectic, right? This is, you know, uh, Vietnam War still going on. People are wearing bell-bottom jeans. You have all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll taking place, right? And, and then we moved to Clifton, which was predominantly a mixed working-class town, and then Persi uh, Lake Hiawatha. And then I ended up in the last three years in one of the predominantly very wealthy Jewish towns called Livingston. So my parents just kept moving to these better towns which had the better school systems. Uh, we didn't have school choice, right? But that's how my parents essentially made sure that we got an education, the right education. By the time I was 14, I was one of those very motivated kids. And the reason I got motivated was when I was 12, two years before in 75, I had the chance to go back to India, okay? And that's when I saw the stark difference between America and India. You know, I went back to my grandparents' village. My aunt lived in a little you know, 10 foot by 10 foot little hut, you know, my, and I realized, Jesus Christ, these people have nothing, you know, but they had God in their lives. And I was brought up in a very spiritual, a deep tradition of, uh, of love and spirituality that everything was moved by God. And I saw in them, you know, the same kind of people I saw in the working class towns in New Jersey that I grew up in. I realized, wow, I've, I'm, I'm going to go back to the United States in a week and I'm going to be afforded so much opportunities that these people do not have. And as I was leaving that small village, my grandparents came to the train station to you know, wish me well, and they were just crying with so much love. And I realized I better do something with my life or otherwise I'm a parasite. You, you follow what I'm saying? So when I got back that year in 75, I worked my buns off. And by the time I was 14, I finished calculus as a ninth grader. My high school had no more math courses. And then I ended up getting this huge opportunity to go to New York University as a 14 year old kid to go study computer science with 40 other kids who were selected in a special program. My mom would drop me off in Newark, you know, the train station, I'd take the train in at 6 a.m., 5, 6 a.m., get in, and I graduated top of the class learning seven programming languages. This was at a time when a computer would occupy. I wanna add one thing. I'm a failure because I do believe that the email system, it's not as good as discovery. Well, yeah, I created the first email system. Yeah, look, look. Yeah, no, 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 it's a very, no, we should discuss this because I want to have a real discussion about real racism, real racism. And the real racists aren't the white working class people. The real racists are the liberal white elites in places like Boston and Cambridge. And that's what we're going to discover in this conversation. Those are the real racists because by when I was 14, 
you know, I was, you know, a smart kid. I mean, I, but I was smart, but I was also not just a nerd. I played sports. I could throw a fastball uh, better than Fauci, by the way. And, um, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, uh, a soccer team, you know, I was, I, I was a very good athlete, but I was dedicated to doing something. So by the time I was 14, I started after I finished that program at NYU, I got a full time job as a research fellow, all documented at what is now known as Rutgers Medical School in the heart of Newark, New Jersey. Most white people still are afraid to go there because they're afraid of being mugged and all. But my high school changed the rules that I could go there. And in that small medical college at that time, I had these amazing people. People are 40, 50, 60 years older than me. They saw in me something and they gave me the opportunity to work there. And I was in, because I was interested in medicine, I started doing initially research on why babies were dying in their sleep. By the way, there's a lot of uh, African-American babies, this, this disease called SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. I was doing research on that, applying computers to biology. At the same time, Dr. Michelson, who still works there, he gave me an amazing opportunity to create, to convert the old fashioned inner office mail system. Some of you may remember this. You said you guys are older guys. Remember the secretary had the typewriter, the inbox, the outbox, the folders. Remember that she'd write this thing called the- yeah, I'm sorry. Let me let people are saying they can't hear me. Okay, yeah, I hope that's better. Yeah, so, um, so uh, what I ended up doing was that I uh, ended up writing this uh, system. Dr. Michelson gave me a great challenge, which was convert that paper-based mail system. The key word to remember here is the word system, not simply sending little, you know, telegraph messages, which you could do on those old computer simple text messages. Okay, what I'm talking about is converting that entire system, the carbon paper, the carbon copy, the inbox, the outbox. And I converted that system to the electronic version in 50,000 lines of code. And I was the first to do that. And, and I named that system email as a 14 year old kid, a term never used in the English language. And then before, and then I came to MIT. And when I came to MIT, they, 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 they talked about three kids out of the 1,041 kids. And I was one of them who had created this email system. It was on the front page of MIT. When I went to the president's house in September or December of 1981, he said, Shiva, you should copyright this system because the Supreme Court doesn't recognize software patents. And I wrote away. I didn't have wealthy parents like Bill Gates's parents. I wrote away to the copyright office, got the paperwork, submitted all my code. And August 30th, which is coming up very soon, 1982, I was awarded the first US copyright for email for creating the first email system. It's all documented. I called it email, I wrote the code, and I have the copyright. Now, the problem was, you know, I was brought up in this humble Indian family, right? My parents weren't PR people, we didn't promote it, but I won all the awards, it's all documented. Fast forward to 2011, by then I went to MIT, got four degrees, created seven different companies. I was in fact teaching a course at MIT while running a full-time company with my new invention, which can, um, which is solving major diseases by using the computer to model disease. Anyway, I'm doing that 2011, 33 years later about, and my dear mom is dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And in a suitcase, she had saved all those beautiful artifacts. You see what I'm saying from 78, the computer code, everything. A very nice technology editor, the senior editor of Time Magazine, he looked at all this, he goes, oh my God, you invented email. He wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email in Time Magazine, the only journalist to go through all of it. 
Anyway, it gets published. Three months later, the Smithsonian, which is the number one museum in the world, National Museum of American History, calls me in and they do a beautiful honoring ceremony accepting all my materials. That evening, a young Washington Post reporter, by the way, an African-American, writes a beautiful story saying Dr. Shiva Iadere honored as the inventor of email. And that's when the proverbial SH whatever hits the fan. Because during those 33 years, I didn't promote the invention of email. The military company known as Raytheon had found some nerd who looked like an inventor with a pocket protector and glasses. All he had done was write simple 15 lines of code to simply exchange text messages. They had basically done fake history, elevated him as the inventor of email, and they had just bought the company he was working and they had rebranded their company, a $37 billion defense contractor as the inventors of email. Why? Because the entire industry was going to cybersecurity, right? Watching all of us, spying on us. So that gave them this, you know, popularity. They were the inventors of email. Anyway, when my stuff went to the Smithsonian, who attacked me? It wasn't white, white working class people. It was a liberal white historians at places like Harvard, okay? Places like the University of Minnesota, who said I was a fraud, a liar, call me all sorts of names. And here I had four degrees from MIT, a Fulbright scholar. I was on the front page of MIT for inventing many other things. But when I said email was invented before I came to MIT in the predominantly black neighborhoods of Newark, New Jersey, where nothing's supposed to come out of, that's when I became a fraud. You see what I'm saying? That's when I became a conspiracy theorist. And Wikipedia is one of the biggest racist organizations. They're the ones who create fake history and they should be defunded. But anyway, you can go look at the whole controversy. People would laugh at me. Ha, ha, ha. You say invented email, Al Gore. No, I actually did freaking invent email. And at that point, I had to defend not me, but that 14-year-old kid. And one of the things I don't know if you guys know, throughout my life at MIT, I've always been a fighter against racism. There's a picture of me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT when I was 18, 19, because MIT had investments in racist South Africa. I organized all the food service workers MIT, at MIT to make sure they got a better wage. I was a guy who led a big protest against US getting out of Iraq. So I've always been a fighter for others. But what was interesting was when my stuff went to the Smithsonian, no one wanted to stand up for me. So it was a very interesting journey for you to, for me to overcome my own oppression to stand up for myself. And I said, you know what? I did invent email. And now I will get the credit that not for me, but for all those people who don't get a chance to go to MIT who are still smart people. So four years later, I found a lawyer. We sued Gawker Media. Gawker Media called me all sorts of names. And not only did we sue them, but I won the lawsuit because we, and others won the loss, uh, lawsuits against them. We drove them to bankruptcy and I was appointed the bankruptcy chairman to sell them. And then we went after another guy. And the next people. Doctor, I just want to say to our listening audience out there, if you, if you haven't read his story and, and talked to people um, about his journey, uh, David and I, you know, we, we went to private schools. We can throw it out there, David, right? Let's say it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we were pretty much a very similar experience as yeah. a doctor. Uh, it's explaining, but that's how they interrupt the lives of young people of color in society. And how right now you're listening to the doctor speak this journey of, of email. Him and I never met, never talked. 
But I looked at the story. We looked at the how things transpired. And then his ways, it, it, his, his views on things, like right now at the moment, at the moment as we speak, this doctor has a, has a plan around COVID that he wrote to the president and talked about how outdated the information that we're using is not helping the situation. How about that, doctor? Yeah, let's talk about that. Look, uh, beyond the invention of email, which I did do. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait yep. a minute doctor. Um, he's not a fan of. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't even pronounce his name. Fauci. Fauci, I've got a fan. Yeah. I was telling some friends of mine that work for the Fed, federal government that you're coming on today. They said, we won't be listening. I said, listen up. Listen up. Listen up. <laughs> well, go ahead, Doc. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, look. Uh, the, the reason, uh, just to close on the invention of email story, the reason the invention of email story and the truth is important is because the truth about the invention of email is not just the facts that I invented email, but more importantly about what it means to be a human being, part of the human race. The innovation is in everyone's DNA, everyone's DNA. Genius is, is in everyone's DNA. What they've done though, these elites, they have created a world saying, after you go to MIT, after you get into Harvard, follow what I'm saying? Then you can be a genius. So you can drop out of Harvard like Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg. You get all the money and then you get to go start Facebook. But before you come to these institutions, you're a nobody. That's a caste system. You follow what I'm saying? Now, the problem they have with someone like me and the danger to the establishment I am is because I've gone through all their whole systems, gotten all their degrees, gotten all their awards, but I still remember where I came from. I still remember those people who had nothing in India and the white working class and everyday working class immigrants who taught me everything I know, the values in New Jersey. And that's the danger that they have and that's who I'm loyal to. So the invention of email basically states, wait a minute, there's a lot of other smart people in this world. E not only did a 14 year old kid invent email, but a 14 year old kid invented TV. And a Michigan mechanic is the one who created the automatic windshield wiper, which MIT professor stole from him. So this world has a lot of smart people, the human race is very smart. And these people divide us up after, you know, give you their awards, their degrees and all that, and then you're better than others. That's the real racism that we should address. And so, you know, my journey beyond the invention of email, I invented many other things. I didn't need the invention of email to define me. You know, most recently to bring up Fauci and what's going on with the coronavirus stuff, you know, my PhD work was inventing another invention called Cytosol, C-Y-T-O-S-O-L-B-E, which is a technology as revolutionary more than email, which is gonna change the world, which is changing the world where we use the computer to model diseases, molecular reactions. So long before we kill animals, long before we just randomly test stuff in a test tube or before we do clinical studies and kill a lot of humans, I can calculate mathematically if this drug is gonna work for you, if it's gonna hurt you, if these combinations of food are right for you, that's called cytosol. So that's you know, what I do, and I'm considered one of the leading guys in the world on knowing the immune system. So they have a problem with that because I I got invited to give the National Science Foundation lecture in November. So when Fauci and the coronavirus said, it's almost like God put me in the right place at the right time, all the knowledge I'd learned how to fight the system, all the science I'd learned all came together about the immune system. And I was the first guy to call out this, frankly, who he's a criminal, Fauci, okay? He's, he, he's a complete fraud and a criminal. And if you want to give him the benefit, you can say he's practicing fake science. But I was the first one to call him out because 
No one had the credibility or the gravitas, not only of my educational background, but also the ability I could see what he was saying was complete nonsense. What he was saying, and by the way, this is the same guy who promoted the another fake science that HIV causes AIDS, and we can talk about it. You know, he allowed billions of dollars to flow into research when HIV does not cause AIDS, but he always attributed a virus to creating immunosuppression. When you look at what we have right now, Fauci, who's been there for 40 years across multiple presidents, is wired into Bill Gates, wired into the WHO, which is wired into the Chinese Communist Party, and wired into Big Pharma. And Big Pharma is not making money anymore from pharmaceutical drugs. Their drugs don't work. They've saturated the market. They can't find any more new drugs. Their only future is vaccines. Vaccines, 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 because vaccines, thank you to the Kennedys, the very fraudulent and very criminal Kennedys, they're the ones from John Kennedy is the one who created the National Vaccination Act in 1962, which basically allowed the CDC to create the guidelines for the states. And then by 1986, it was called the National Vaccination Act, 62 Kennedy put it into law. And that act was based on old science saying that, you know, antibodies are the only way to protect the immune system. Okay. That what, and by 1986, a lot of people were getting injured from these vaccines because one size does not fit all. Not everyone should be getting the same vaccines. It's like no one should be eating all the same food or the same medicine. So by 1986, you had a lot of people getting injured, lawsuits being filed against big pharma. And instead of getting rid of that 1962 Kennedy Vaccination Act, what happens? The other Kennedy, the guy who raped and murdered and got away with stuff, Ted Kennedy, which, by the way, if you or I did anything he did, we'd be in jail for life. However, if you're Kennedy, you get away with it. So anyway, Ted Kennedy, what does he do? He doesn't get rid of that act. He sponsors a bill to create the National Vaccine Injury Program. Sounds all good, but it created the vaccine courts, which means you could not sue vaccine big pharma manufacturers. Quite amazing. You must go to a vaccine court, not in federal court, not in state court, but underneath health and human services. Maximum liability for death of your child was 250,000. They basically protected big pharma. That's what Ted Kennedy did. Then after that, what happens? We have all these people continuing to still get injured. A lot of people can't have the time to go to a vaccine court. And they gave some religious and medical exemptions. And then you had the other big fraud, the biggest one, Robert Kennedy Jr., the son of Bobby Kennedy. And he's saying he's against vaccines. But then you read into him, he's actually supports Hillary Clinton, who supported Monsanto, who supports vaccines for everyone. So that's what they do. They basically, the Kennedys think they're the only ones who can be the heroes of poor blacks, poor whites, and the working people. Now, when I called out Robert Kennedy, I said, wait a minute, this, wherever he goes, he loses. And he tells us to negotiate with the Democrats and the politicians. I said, we need to build a militant, militant, bottoms up movement. And he lost in New York, he lost in California. I led that call and in New Jersey, we won, we stopped it. And what, because of where I come from, which is bottoms up, I don't rely on big media. I don't rely on the Kennedys. I don't care who the hell they are. They take good pictures. That's what they do. We need to build a bottoms up movement. And that's what's occurring right now. And I happen to be in this very, and I thank God for this because it's all comes from God in this very fortunate position where I can call out these guys. Fauci is a fraud. We ended up doing a petition, got 120,000 signatures. I also wrote a letter to the president, Donald, President Trump. And I said, look, you don't need to shut down the entire economy. I gave him a four point plan. 
the right medicine for the right person at the right time. All those people are immunocompromised. Yes, let them stay at home. Let them beef up their immune system with high dose vitamin A and vitamin D, which just comes from the sun. By the way, vitamin D, we people of color, we need five to 15 times more vitamin D3 than people who don't have our color skin, okay? Why? Because our skin shields the, the, the sunlight, which creates vitamin D3. So they put all these African-Americans, told them to stay at home. That's of course why they had much more deaths. They basically killed them. So what we have in this country right now, Trump brought out fake news. I'm here to bring out fake science because fake science is a fake news behind fake news. And the center of fake science is Harvard and MIT, right here in Massachusetts. You pay these guys enough, they practice the oldest profession. They practice the oldest profession. That's what they do. And you pay them enough, they'll tell you the, the earth is gonna end tomorrow and CO2 is a pollutant. You pay them enough and they'll tell you everyone's gotta get vaccinated. Vac vaccines are the only way. It's false. We gotta boost our immune systems. Well, how do you boost your immune system? Number one, vitamin D3. God gave us a sun. The sun hits our skin. Your body makes D3. The D3 through a set of chemical reactions creates bullets, I call them, catholicidins, which blow up the walls of the viruses. So telling people to stay at home is the most ridiculous thing. And especially during the winter, we should have been telling people to take high dose vitamin D3. That's what I wrote to the president. Um, I eventually got a call back from the White House. It was about an hour call with the deputy uh, director of deputy policy. And I said, look, uh, um, you need to get rid of this guy, Fauci. He's dangerous. And they were amazed because, you know, it wasn't some fringe person calling. It's a guy with an MIT, PhD in biological engineering. So I know they've heard us, but the bottom line is it's time for us people to recognize that we've been sleeping. We've elected lawyers and Kennedys and these lobbyists. We need to start electing people who are one of us, people like me, people like you, people who came bottoms up. And I don't want to do this Senate thing for more than one term. Six years is long enough. I'm going to go in there. I have three major issues that we can talk about I want to deal with. Truth, freedom, and health. Freedom, the Digital Rights Act. Truth, the Citizen Science Act. Health, the Health Rights Act. And all of those, I've already written the bills on them. So I'm going to get to work right when I get in. So you, so doctor, so, so you would overhaul the, the uh, digital communication and, and health care? Yeah, there are three uh, things. That, that would be your, your I mean, that, that's a, that's a, a, a pretty big um change it is uh, so it is what, what, what would you i mean I'm a, look, well, first of all the phones are lighting up like crazy here uh we can't answer the phone because we we, we uh uh you're on the line uh but you know maybe you come at another another time but um i am getting texts and people are, are texting me and, and we, we, we yeah I, i'm also i'm also streaming this yeah Yeah. Um, right now, at the moment, because of the situation we're in, I mean, people are are, are dying and and afraid, and concerned of the way society is dealing with this pandemic of COVID. So you know, I, I want to bring it to where we are. See, we we believe in. The word of God. We believe in the, 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 the power of prayer. We believe in that that the things that take place right now is going to pass. We're going to get through this, right? Uh, this is not the end, but we need to, to understand how.
created as human beings, what in a way to fix it? It's a good question. Yeah. So, um, by the way, thank you. By the way, I have some listeners listening here too. So I just want to let we're, we're on number one gospel station in Boston with some amazing, uh, folks here, but let's talk about health. Let's start with health. Okay. You know, my mom, uh, about six years ago, died of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis within three months. She used to, when we first came to the United States, she worked in a mill, which had all these fibers, you know? But my mom always would say health is wealth. And I grew up in a tradition where health was everything. As I mentioned, my grandmother was a healer. My whole life has been about health, integrating Eastern and Western medicine, building technologies for health. But what I can tell you is Hippocrates, who's considered at least uh, in the Greek world, the father of medicine, he said, anyone who does not become their own doctor is a fool, okay? That's where the Hippocratic Oath comes from. So what does that mean? First of all, what that means is, the principle here is every individual must become responsible for their own health. So that's what I wanna start with. People must take responsibility for their health, number one. Now, how do you become responsible for your health? Well, no, that leads to number two, which means people need to understand how the body functions. Well, how do you understand that? I can tell you doctors do not learn how the body functions. They get a very, very, very twisted view of the human body because modern medicine, Western medicine came from war. If you go look at the history of medicine, it goes back to Florence Nightingale during the Crimean War. And what was the purpose of medicine? A soldier got injured to put him back on the battlefield. And what that meant was you got to fix a problem quickly, right? The guy's in crisis, right? Maybe something's wrong with his leg. Okay, we got to take it out. Or, you know, something's severed in his liver. We got to do something, right? It was a crisis management situation. That is the origin of Western medicine. After something occurs, after the tumor comes, after you get something horrible, then you react. It's a reactive medicine model. But that is the modern Western healthcare system. There is another system of healthcare which is called traditional systems of medicine, where you, where you viewed the body as a system. And when you look at those systems of medicine, it's related direct, directly to engineering systems theory. So in 2007, after I finished my PhD, I made a major breakthrough and I was able to unravel and decipher, decode the ancient systems of medicine and show that they matched directly to Western control systems theory. It's a whole institute I created called Systems Health. Uh, systemshealth.com. People can go check it out. But anyway, the point, the point is the body is a system. Your system has a certain place that it likes to be just like a Ferrari likes to be at a certain place. You know how it runs versus a SUV, right? Two very different systems. So the first thing people need to understand if they want to take responsibility of their health is a body's an interconnected system. The ankle bones connected to your foot bone. If you have stuff going on in your eyes, you know what? It may be related to your liver. If you have something going on in your ears, Believe it or not, it may be related to stuff to, in your kidneys, okay? This is not what Western medical doctors learn. In fact, they don't even get a nutrition course. What they do get when they leave MD school is a big ego, a big amount of debt, and they go join big hospitals. A lot of the good guys can't even start their own medical practice because of the massive amounts of debt they have and all of Obamacare nonsense of all the uh, high costs. This, you know, those high costs of five cents aspirin sells for 50 bucks in, in the emergency room. But bottom line, we have a lot of fat in the medical system. We've told people don't take responsibility for your health, just get insurance. And you don't understand the body of it as a system. My health rights access, number one, we got to remove the fat. There's a lot of corruption in the healthcare model. 
huge GPOs, group purchasing organizations, PBMs. These guys are organizations which inflate the cost of a bedpan in a hospital by 10,000 times, okay? Or an aspirin by 100,000 times. Middlemen, all that corruption needs to go away. We need to eliminate the cost. And that was brought to you from the 70s, Obamacare accelerated it. The other thing we need to do is we need to reestablish a relationship between the patient and the doctor, one-to-one, like my grandmother had. That's what we need to go back to, health sovereignty. Because your body and everyone listening, your body or anyone's body is different than my body. What you need is different than mine. Well, you can't figure that out. The body's a very complex system, particularly the immune system. So the only way that happens is for A, people to start listening to their bodies, understanding their body as a system. I've created a whole tool called yourbodyyoursystem.com. People go check it out. We give it away to people who support the campaign. My goal is to educate people so they become responsible for their health. One of the ways in the Health Rights Act is to DPC, direct primary care. A number of doctors, the smart ones are moving into this model. What they're saying is, look, I'm not going to take insurance. Just pay me 50 bucks a month, 75 bucks a month out of your pocket. And then I will take care of 80% of your needs. You know, all the little colds, the sniffles, you get a scratch, something happens. In the And then you get crisis insurance, about 125 bucks for the horrible, let's say, knock on wood, it doesn't happen to anyone, a car accident, et cetera. You keep the healthcare cost below 200 bucks a month. And the individual now is saying, you know what? I'm going to take care of my body. People take care of their cars better than they do their body, right? You go shop for the right mechanic, but we don't do that here. We have created a Soviet, you know, communist party model where it's top down. Okay. Fauci says everyone should take vaccines. Everyone takes it. And you know, who's profiting no, from no, that? No. Doctor. Yeah. Let me just say this to you. And that's not, that's not, I, won't, I want to stand that, but taking that, that vaccine, I want to share with you the experience that happened with me. Um, I was going through, uh, I didn't know at the time, well, I didn't know, uh, cancer, and I was going for the test. My good friend, Ed David, had taken me for the, um, uh, the final uh, determination, sit down with the doctor. And as we sat in the, in the room with the doctor, um, what did the doctor say, David? Yeah, get your house in order. You don't have enough, you don't have enough time to live. <laughs> wow. You got, you got six months. You got six months. Six months. Six months. Yeah. And David became very distraught, very unhappy. Yeah. yeah. He didn't believe it. But I got to say that, um, <clears throat> I said, that's great, doctor. You, you know, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you're still standing. I'm <laughs> feeling good right now. Yeah, amen. I want to get something to eat, and uh, uh, you know that's good. So, plan the surgeries. That you know, I I mean, I was stage three and eleven tumors and sagittal cord, blah blah blah, on and on and on. And my friend David was very upset. Very upset. Losing a friend, I didn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was what four years ago, David. Four years ago, you yeah, So, so we're not yeah, we're, we're not good. I'm not a good example. For our listening audience out there right now, as the doctor speaks about taking responsibility for your body, and one thing that I do know now that I do mm-hmm. is I do lay down. I don't go twenty-four hours a day. Yeah, I go maybe ten hours a day, or fifteen 12, hours, 12, 12 hours, fifteen hours. <laughs> but you know, I did change my lifestyle, doctor, because you know um, there wasn't enough time in the day for me to do what I do for what I used to. Yeah, right. So I did change, and as you speak to 
as as we've been responsible for our own health. That is a major um, uh, 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 advice. The phone lines are lighting up here, doctor. I can't tell you my my phone is the phone lines lighting up. My cell phone is lighting up. You know, we need to get you in here, huh, David? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. I mean, um, you in for a test. You need to come in here. We gotta get you in all, these, all, all these phone calls. <laughs> Well, what what you got to understand? I, I mean, the phone lines are lighting up. You know, I I, I just want to say, uh, if, if you could just close us out with this phone sheet. I mean, I'm not a fan of this. I can tell you that right now because I'm not getting a, a vaccine. It's not happening. Well, That's how, not going to happen. How much time do we have to close out? Really, you want you want to keep talking, huh? Um. <laughs> well, well, let, let me just let me just make this one point. I want to look. Look, the, the, okay. So let, let me just take about five ten. Let me take five ten minutes. Yeah. I'm going to take my headset off, and I'm going to take my headset off. And when you told me to speak, I'm going to speak. No, no. This is very important. What you your experience is very powerful. Look, when you start reviewing all the literature which I've done, you know, on um, aging, right? On health and disease. I mean, really, when you look at the whole body of literature and you start really going into it, it turns out, and this is not only my saying, but this has been reviewed in many systematic review papers. You find out that there are, uh, there's one reason, the number one reason, there's many reasons, there's like three or four of them, uh, why people live long and healthy and have good lives, you know, they die peacefully what we call you know, healthy aging. The number one reason you find, it's not food, it's not taking vitamins, it's not exercising, and it's not about smoking or not smoking. It's gonna be quite interesting. It turns out the number one reason people live long is fellowship, friendships, community. People who go to church, for example, and have you know, uh, prayer and friendships in their lives and, and sense of connection. So someone could be a little bit overweight, you know, smoke a little. I'm not saying people should do that, but the number one reason is fellowship and community. Number one. And what's fascinating is what did we not social distancing. In fact, social isolation is a number one cause of destroying the immune system. Worse than high blood pressure, worse than obesity, worse than smoking. Quite, quite amazing. So when people are socially isolated, in a 1988 landmark study in the New England Journal of Medicine, clearly showed when people are socially isolated, what I just shared, it's worse than all those smoking, high blood pressure, um, and obesity, and smoking, right? So, however, an, another study was done about 10 years ago by Stephen Cole. They went down to the genetic level. They did experiments with humans as well as macaw monkeys, and they found out when people are socially isolated, or the monkey, that... They, the body created inflammation, which is a basis of cancer. Inflammation is a foundation of cancer. And they had less, the body is an amazing pharmaceutical factory. It didn't produce as many antimicrobials to keep the fungus and the pathogens and the viruses away. So think about that. When we have fellowship, when we have, when we can go to church or you have family around you, you boost immunity, build community, boost immunity, build community, boost immunity. That's my slogan. So what did Fauci tell us to do? He said, stay in your homes, stay away from people. Now, the only country that didn't follow that was Sweden, and they've had amazing results. So 
what we've done is we have based the entire system of care on fake science. Because when you actually look at the immune system, it is not just about antibodies. It's not just about macrophages. You have the gut microbiome. You have the interferon system. You have your brain health. And all of them are interconnected. If you don't take care of your gut health, you can create a neuroinflammation. Everything's interconnected. It's a system. But most important thing is having good friendships and love and kindness and prayer and God. And what are the things that connect you to the universe? This heals you, literally heals you. But we told people to socially distance, stay away from others. And that, if anything, is a narcissistic model. It's not about community. What it's actually saying is, I'm on, it's all about me. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to wear goggles. I'm going to protect me. I'm going to stay away from you. This is totally anti-human. We have 380 trillion viruses, each of us in our bodies. We have 60 trillion bacteria, only 6 trillion cells. We're all a walking germ factory. We're supposed to interact. We're supposed to get strong. However, what the establishment has done is destroy our water, destroy our food, destroy uh, you know, the air. So we're hurting people's immune systems. You're destroying the immune system and a weakened immune system attacks itself. Let me repeat that. A virus or a pathogen is not what kills you or hurts you because we have 380 trillion of them in us right now. It's a weakened immune system caused by not taking responsibility for your health, not getting the right nutrition and electing really, really horrible politicians, lawyers, 90% lawyers who have brought us to a condition in Massachusetts, for example, where we have the worst infrastructure, F minus minus, worst roads, worst crumbling bridges, worst water systems. That's what we've created in supposedly the place MIT and Harvard are. So what I'm imploring people to is wake up. It's your responsibility. You can't be complaining anymore because you have someone like me running for US Senate. And I may probably never do this again because God has put me in this role and my whole life has brought me to this point. There is a reason that I grew up in that family, my grandmother who taught me to love God. There was a reason something brought me to MIT to get all these degrees. There was a reason I had to fight the email controversy to learn how to fight. So you have a fighter, you have a scientist, you have someone who can communicate. And the establishment will never give me press. The racist Boston Globe didn't put me on the debate stage. The racist Massachusetts GOP establishment party. I'm running as a Republican, but I don't care about the Republican Party. And the racist Democrats do not want one of us, one of me, ever getting the light of any type of visibility. That's why we go bottoms up. That's why we go to a gospel radio station. We go among the people. That's who my people are. We must win this election in Massachusetts because Massachusetts is a center of the deep state. It's a center of all evil. Look, when those red coats lost in 1776, they didn't leave. They stayed here. Charlie Baker's a red coat. All of these people are red coats, Democrat and Republican. Right now, they want to force vaccinate our kids. Why? Two reasons. Control, 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 and big pharma, big pharma, big pharma. Republicans and Democrats. That's why they just passed a rule that every kid must get the flu shot. And a kid means all the way up to the age of 30, even if you're going to any school. This is complete violation of, of human freedom. It's a violation of truth. It's a violation of freedom. It's a violation of health because one size does not fit all. So I'm telling everyone listening out there, get off and go to the Boston Common today at 2 p.m. We're having a massive rally there against forced vaccinations. And the Boston Common 
by the way, guys, David and everyone, I was out there, if you remember three years ago at the Boston Free Speech Rally, and they called me a white supremacist. 40,000 people came because Marty Walsh was running against a black guy, branded that because Charlottesville took place three years, uh, three days before that the Nazis were coming in because he wanted to get elected, acting like he cared for black people. That's how these politicians work. They create fake science and they create fake racism. They never want to solve real racism because they're the racists. They divide black and white. And we have to move beyond black and white. We have to move beyond left and right. We have to unite working people. Working people have to unite. And the most important thing, it's the last thing I want to leave on is everyone listening, you've got to vote in the primaries, September 1st for Shiva for Senate. And I'm telling you this is because it took me a while to realize this. You have the big championship, let's say the big basketball championships where the where the lawyer puppets end up. And it doesn't matter who gets there because by that time it's too late. But the playoffs is where we got to be working at the primaries. We have the Republican primary and the Democrat primary. What they do is both sides. They make sure their lawyer puppets win the primary and another lawyer puppet on the other side. So it doesn't matter who wins. They always win. So everyone listening, please go to vote. If you're unenrolled, I'm running as a Republican. It's not like I care for the Republican establishment. I love all people, Democrats and Republicans. I had to choose a party because last year they kept me off the debate stage. So I chose a Republican party to run. If you're unenrolled independent, ask for the Republican ballot. If you're Republican, obviously you can vote. If you're Democrat, you can switch over. The day was yesterday, but the general elections are coming where anyone can vote for me. We got to win. You deserve people like me. You deserve people who are one of us. You don't deserve lawyer puppets who say whatever is needing to be said to divide us. We got to win. 2020 is going to be the year when we head into freedom or slavery. And the only words that come to me every time I pray and I come out of prayer is we must win. And what I mean we must win is the election in Massachusetts. Yes, there's a national one, but I'm telling you that the Shiva for Senate campaign for truth, freedom and health is quite a profound campaign. We've energized thousands all across Massachusetts, all across the country, all across the world. So everyone listening, you can support our campaign. Go to shivaforsenate.com. But this campaign is not just a U.S. Senate campaign. It's about truth, freedom and health. It's about freedom versus slavery. It's about you taking responsibility for your lives. It's about you choosing people that really serve you. And you deserve someone like me. You deserve someone who came from nothing. You deserve someone who actually earned four degrees. You deserve someone who created jobs. You deserve someone who can articulate and communicate. You deserve that. You don't deserve trash. Basically, guys, you know, they it's like pe feeding people McDonald's and, and uh, Burger King all day. And one day you have an amazing uh, meal that your grandmother makes. And you go, oh, my God, this is how food really tastes. You go, wow, that's food. I've been eating garbage. Well, this, my candidacy offers you you know, real food. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to say to you that we, we are looking forward. Um, the phone lines are, 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 are jumping crazy. I'm getting all kinds of texts and, and um, would love to have you in the studio at some point to, ask, to answer some of these calls. Um, I can't answer the questions, all the questions coming in. But I, but I, what I do want you to know is that um, you're, you're, you're speaking a lot of truth, right? And you're speaking um, a lot of what 
the Bible says and speaks to us to the, the Lord, the God that that you know we, we we have mighty warriors like yourself that you will do the light that love that you have that you you show over your entire life you know and so as I pray for you I'm asking everlasting Father to protect you to guide you that that the Lord will shine upon you that His grace will be with you that your favor in the place where with the God I I, I, I chose favor. And presents the focus of, of the understanding, the perfect peace that we, we trust. That no matter what weapons form against you, that God will protect you. Father, I'm asking that you will continue to help, Doctor. Uh, doctor, give him the wisdom and understanding. Give him the strength through the Holy Spirit. Father God, I'm praying right now at this moment to help all of us. Give us all that hand of protection. But in particular, Father, I'm asking that you will grace him anything that comes against him. Lord, give him that protection. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I for want to thank you so thank much. You. Yes, we do. And um, do look forward to having another, another yeah, live. 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 Come on down. We'll, we'll do it. You, man. We got, you got a lot of good stuff. You know, yeah, you got a lot of folks, yeah. Really? Yeah, a lot of folks are, are, are listening and and wanting to uh, ask a question. So thank you, and I'll try to make your event today if I could. Um, so thank yep. you, Doctor. Yeah, please know se September 1st, put it out there. You got to vote for Shiva for Senate in the Republican primary. And uh, we have to make sure everyone recognizes that we have to fight. You know, we have to do God's duty here. It's not just, uh, you know, sitting on the sidelines. People have to jump in and there's nowhere to run anymore. But I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the beautiful prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Be well. Be the light. Let's fight and win. Thank you.